you can't see me dancing to that, but I did. I know. Hello, friends. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's been a long time. It's been a while. Uh, February, I think, was the last time we recorded. Wow, has it really been? Yep. Wow. Time has Everyone was quarantining, so. Yeah. Yeah, I can use that excuse. I don't, my, my body's still quarantining. <laughs> Is that a word now? Quarantining? Yeah, I think so. We're going to make it one. We're going to make it one. It should be. Yes. Please describe your body type. Quarantining. <laughs> it's so true. I'm f- terrified to put back on all my, like, school work clothes. <laughs> mm, girl, no. I'm not even going to entertain that idea right now. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, it's crazy. I can't believe so. We are now episode, I said 37? That's wild. 37, I think? Yeah. I don't know. My brain just, it's just, it's quarantining mode. <laughs> I use that for everything. I'm quarantining this, quarantining that. Sorry, episode 35. 35. Whoa, I just jumped ahead. So yeah, episode 35. Um, So I just want to say congratulations to Beth and I because we hit a thousand uh, download mark. So thank you to you guys for downloading. We really appreciate it. Because I'm going to be honest, I was surprised we had that many people who knew where we are. Uh, who right. we are. Sorry. Who we are. And, and, and you know, and um, my husband thought to, you know, Chris thought, I'm like, oh, is that just, does that count for you guys? Like, no, because there's different people downloading. It does like, <laughs> so anyhow. So thank you guys for doing that. Like, I am just super happy that we have a thousand downloads. So. That's incredible. So thank you. Yay to us. So, yeah. So, um. Like I said, apologize. It's been, you know, crazy few months. Everybody knows. Everybody kind of went to shutdown mode. And Beth and I just focused on work and, you know, life in general. So, but we thought, you know, no better time than the other. Because as of this week, it will be our two-year anniversary. Starting this two mm-hmm. years already. It goes so fast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, happy anniversary to you, Beth. Aw, thank you. Happy anniversary to you, too. And in true style, I totally forgot the date, but you remembered, and I appreciate you for that. I just know it's in August. I forget. <laughs> it was the first week of August, because I was just before my birthday when we first recorded. That's how I remember. I just get in trouble, because I never remember the dates for anything. I get in trouble. I, I know. So, um, oh, we're getting our messages back and forth. That's funny. Um, Beth and I are planning to talk about, you know, my birthday, because we're actually doing, I'm so excited for our we're doing this cool um, outdoor, what is it, escape room. Mm-hmm. And we we're so excited because like, apparently like, there's like, two different creepy ones. So, and they're both outdoors. I'm really excited. One has to do with an, an orphanage and demonicness. And another one has to do with something else, like a murder. Yeah, it should be interesting. It looks like really cool. Them. Scary? Very scary. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, hmm, kind of subjective, but okay. That's what they rate it. Scary, very scary. <laughs> okay, it's like spicy, not spicy. <laughs> that got me in trouble before. Okay, yeah, see how this plays out. <laughs> um, with alcohol, not alcohol. <laughs> so anyhow, so yeah, so uh, yeah, two years and uh, back on track. I feel like I don't know. I feel like back recording feels kind of like normal again. Yeah, so I'm really excited about us getting back to the swing of things. Personal, yeah. true that. Yeah. So, um, I was gonna say something now, but again, quarantine. quarantine. So, what are you, so, what are you covering today? Which one are you gonna do? 
Okay, so yes, thank you. <laughs> I'm excited because I'll be covering the mysterious death of Tom Thompson. Because his uh, over be 102 year anniversary of his death just passed in July. And because our cottage, which we, um, which is not too far, well, it's actually far because we, I will explain in our, in the, my story, but Algonquin is not too far from where our cottage is up north in, ha- in Halliburton area. So, which is quite large, but yeah, I'm excited because I've always been a big fan of his work. Mm-hmm. And group seven, which is funny because I'll explain more in my story, but yeah. So I'll shut up about mine. What are no, you doing? Good one. I'm excited for yours. So yours is a good one. Um, I'm going to talk about the Red Path Mansion mystery in <gasps> Montreal. So. And yes, for all of you Torontonians, it does connect to the Red Path Sugar Company family. So, which is interesting because, yeah, I my neighbor, um, beside my parents, he used to work for Red Path. Oh, no way. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a, like literally the coolest job. I'm like, you got to work a sugar all day. It would be cool. As a kid, that would be like the best thing. Ever. Yeah, but it's not as glamorous as that. I thought no, it was. No, it's sugar. I thought, I'm like, I'm like, how cool is that? You get to work a sugar all day. So anyhow, I'm going to stop talking. And <laughs> I'm going to let you. you. Want me to go first? Yeah. Because awesome. I want to hear your story because. All right. So I'm going to be transparent. Um, it's debatable whether the house is actually haunted or not. Mm-hmm. It's more of the creepy story around it. And it's creepy enough that it's almost always on Montreal's like top 10 spookiest locations. Ooh. So why is this mansion so creepy? On June 13th, 1901, Ada Marie Mills Redpath, who was the 59-year-old widow of industrialist John James Redpath, and her 24-year-old son, Jocelyn Clifford Redpath, better known as Cliff, were found shot in Ada's, Ada's bedroom. But the exact circumstances around the whole death is still a mystery. Now, the house was standing up until 2014, but unfortunately it fell into disrepair, so the mansion is now torn down. But mm-hmm. thanks to a research team at McGill University, there's like a wealth of items available. So like we have things like photos, corner reports, condolence letters after the passings, and even the extensive diaries of Ada's oldest daughter or her only daughter amy so there's a lot of information you can get on it so what is this mystery i'm sure you're all curious about Uh, (laughs) so peter redpath was the oldest son and he told the story or he related the story to the authorities that he heard shots so after he heard these shots he ran into his mother's bedroom where he found her and his younger brother cliff on the floor at this point, the household servants also ran in to help, but it was said Miss Redpath died instantly, and Cliff also say, succumbed to his injuries. Hmm. So, as I said before, most of us are pretty familiar with the Redpath Sugar Company yeah. and that beautiful factory downtown. Um, and it was actually Cliff's grandfather, John Redpath, who owns, who started that company in 1854. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Redpath Company was also known for buying and selling land holdings um his grandfather actually sold the Rideau canal that was his big thing so needless wow. to say they were a really wealthy and influential family wait so, mm-hmm. he owned the Rideau canal at one point uh sorry he built he built the Rideau oh, canal. He built it. i'm like dang i'm like yeah. wow he built it so he wow. built it my bad sorry quarantine i i i got excited I'm like this guy's like ridiculously rich he owned the Rideau canal i'm like 
Yo, that's like some major money to get into. <laughs> he built it. So I guess in a way he technically. <laughs> wow. He built it. Yeah. That's impressive. So you can imagine the press was like super interested when this went down. Like super mm-hmm. interested. Mm-hmm. That being said, the investigation was less than 48 hours. Wow. So the coroner's quest was the next day. And then on the day after that, they were buried in the family grave. Holy crap. That's a pretty fast turnaround. Extremely fast turnaround. Especially in that, like that era too. Yeah. It's really, really quick. Well, it just goes to show that when you have money, this is what happens, right? So basically during the inquest, 13 of Montreal's leading citizens um, listened to what Peter Redpath had to say, um, as well as Rose Shallow, who was a household servant, Charles Fleet, a businessman and family friend, and a couple of um, physicians from the area. And basically one thing that the report concluded was that Ada had been shot in the back of the head where Clifford was shot in the left temple. Huh. But it's not so cut and dry. One doctor suggested that Clifford's mouth, uh, mouth showed some foaming and attributed it to a recent epileptic, epileptic attack. That's a tricky one to say. Um, and Dr. Thomas Riddick, who is the Red Pass family physician, basically said Clifford must have been having an episode, not aware of what he was doing, killed his mother, and then shot himself. But there's some back and forth because there's no record of Clifford being treated for epilepsy before. But with a family with that much wealth and influence, it'd be very easy to kind of brush that under the rug. So people wouldn't need to know about that. Oh, okay. I have, okay. I have questions here. And I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Okay. But I have a few friends who are epileptic themselves. And when they have an episode, it depends on a petite male or grand male. Mm-hmm. You are usually, if it's grand male, you are on the ground, unable to move. Mm-hmm. And I don't know enough about epilepsy to call that one. We gotta call some experts in on that one. Yeah, no different I, types. Yeah, and it's gonna be different types. They're grand male and petite male, but usually when you're out, you are out. Like you come out of it. It's like they they explain it's like they just came from like a daze and they're very dizzy and they kind of they're out of it for the you know a few minutes to a half hour to even to an hour. Yeah, that was the part of the the doctor was saying like he wouldn't have been aware of what was going yeah. on. I know, but like you have but to be able to have like aim to hold a gun let alone because you can't see anything like you're you are literally out of it like Once it's again a- part of the mystery okay sorry wow okay okay that's just a weird theory all right yeah so if anyone has more information on that please let us know because like i said neither of us are medical professionals so we don't so if you guys have some any information let us know um some speculate that cliff premeditated the event mm. But it seems kind of unlikely because, like, literally, like, a few days before his death, he applied his application to write the bar examination to become a lawyer and paid it all up. He had his plans for that. Um, Others think Ada might have murdered her son while in the depths of depression and then killed herself. But if you believe... See, but if you believe the coroner's inquest, that would be quite impossible. But her health was in steady decline over the past 10 years or so. So she kind of left everything to her oldest older son Peter and her daughter Amy to run the household and the business so that's one theory some people think they just got into Cliff and Ada got into a really big argument and it just went south but they're also known for being extremely close and helping each other out so the one who kind of comes another person who kind of comes into like a big quote-unquote suspect in this mystery is Amy Redpath the oldest daughter so People kind of suspected her for a few reasons. One, at the time, she was really controlling of the crime scene. 
like super controlling. Mm. Two, she, people thought she kind of put her life on hold um, to take care of her mother in the household. So she didn't really have time to, you know, form her own life, get married, go out into the world. Mm-hmm. Three, they thought maybe financial. But one, if she was, she's quite, she seemed quite devoted. So her taking control of the situation might have been to um, disguise or minimize any embarrassing things that could come out about the family during an investigation. Some suggested maybe Clifford had a lifestyle that would have been questionable in polite, quote unquote, society. Mm-hmm. She didn't, she did eventually get married, but it wasn't until five years after the, the death. Hmm. But interesting, she married Dr. Thomas uh, Roddick, the family friend. Hmm. A doctor. And three, she didn't get really any money out of it because all the money was turned over to her older brother, Peter. And several so, uncles kind of took control of the case, uh, of the finances. So that kind of, I don't think she was the one. But, mm, okay. I think the most frustrating part about this one is that the lack of police Mot- work. The motive. Motive, police work, and the, the ability that this family had so much money and influence, they could pretty much write their own narrative. I know, but but I'm saying that like, what is the motive behind it? Like you said, like there's so many theories, conspiracy theories behind their deaths, right? But like, there's no like, like it maybe if like things were taken from them, or nope. maybe like you know what I mean? Like that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like just like wow, okay. And it's interesting because they kind of ruled it a murder suicide, but there's no records at all of suicides in the city of Montreal for June 1901. And usually suicide, somebody will leave some type of note. There's always like a distressful, you know, um, lead up to somebody who may be under mental duress, right? It's such an opposition because we have such a wealth of information. We have all of Amy's, like she was, she kept tons of diaries, tons of them. So we have all of her diaries, all of these photos, the documents, the papers, but no note. Yeah, I'm saying, like, oh. And it's really frustrating because this case probably will never be solved but if any of you amateur sleuths out there want to take a crack at it there's a great website called canadianmysteries.ca and they actually have all the information this is just kind of a taste of this but they have all the information put up there pictures biographies primary documents so people can kind of go in and try to solve the mystery for themselves but yeah okay and then there's me i'm going back because like the other family members i don't know that's just wow 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 wow. now it, oh, do, do, it gets do, weird. It gets better. One oh. other little thing, and then I'll let you dive in. So, yes. Cliff had a cousin named Lily Dougal, who published the book *The Summit House Mystery*, or the Earth, or it's sometimes known as *The Earthly Purgatory*, which seems oh. to mix the mysteries of the Red Path Mansion and the Lizzie Borden case into a work of fiction. Oh, <gasps> <laughs> right, because she had communication with Amy for quite a while after the death. So I'll make sure to post um, the link so you guys can all check it out as well. Maybe you'll you'll solve it. But there's definitely a lot more than I'm able to fit in our tiny podcast. It's pretty crazy. All well, right, now you can go. Sorry, I kept you no, long enough. No, <laughs> we should tell we should tell our, our audience and our listeners what we said our our, our backup career is going to be. We are going to be private investigators of the living and the dead. 
That's what we call. I love the name of our. The name part. I feel we should call ourselves is Wanted, Dead or Alive. Dead or Alive, exactly. Dead or Alive is going to be, and we're going to solve both. Like, we're going to be like, mm-hmm. you know, Scooby Doo. Mm-hmm. We're going to, you know, solve both a lot, you know, Great. living mysteries and like, and dead. That's why the white vans are following us. They're telling us we need to get one and spray yeah. paint it for our mystery bus. Oh. I'm loving this. Okay, now, was this place yeah. ever haunted? Do we know if there's any ghosties ever frequent this place? Frequent this place? Sorry. Um, I think they kind of lump it in with all the haunted places in Montreal. Oh, but, man. But so the house is torn down now. And I, I think most people are like, yeah, it could be haunted. But if you want to see a real haunted place, just go up to the Red Path Library at McGill University. All oh. the stuff's in there anyway. So there could be a case for whether some items from the house were haunted and they got transferred over to the library, but mm-hmm. it's more of the really infuriating mystery of why and how this happened. I I don't know. I think most of it was probably just unfortunately mental illness that wasn't well, yeah, appropriately then, dealt with. Exactly, and you know, in in people and especially female, you know, women back in the day of certain status in you know class, um, if you suffer from any type of even things like postpartum depression and headaches, we were considered to be, you know, had some stuff or some type of disability, like, or some type of mental health issue. And well, it's interesting because the mom they have on record suffering from melancholy, which is kind of the terminal for depression and anxiety back in the day. And they used to, they used to put people like they used to submit them to institutions. Like they used to commit them in institutions at the time. But- and that was one of the terms is melancholy. Mm-hmm. But most people don't think she had any. She didn't do it, right? Because she was shot in the back of the head. Yeah, because how would you do that, right? Yeah. Like usually, if somebody, okay, okay, I can go well, down this rabbit hole, and I'm gonna go down this rabbit hole. You know that. Now I'm gonna be obsessed. Like, yeah, I'll send you the, I'll send you the website so you can go, can go down it. But I just yeah. find it interesting that they would be okay with the mother having melancholy, but then why go through all these great pains to not? If the son had health issues, hide it more for the son. Even taking into the whole patriarchal thing. Exactly. But Peter was the head of the company anyway. So it wasn't a, not the head of the company, but the head of the financial family part in Montreal. So it's a lot. I will make sure I post that website for you guys to check out because it's really fascinating. I'm totally like, now I'm going to be like, you know, now we definitely have to start own uh, own PI. (laughs) I'm sure there's probably a really simple explanation. It's just that we'll never have the exact evidence to back it up. And it's incredibly frustrating for people. Leave it up to us, dead or alive agency, to come up with the, to solve the mystery. There you go. That was fascinating, Beth. That was really cool. Like, that was, I'm like, okay, because I know about the Red Path family. And obviously, uh, for those who don't know, the Red Path family is a sugar. Uh, I guess you would call them this conglomerate, you know, sugar company in in toronto and the factory's still there and they actually have a beach called sugar beach base because that's where the factories be yeah it's a huge huge deal up here yeah and so wow that's some actually, i think some of our american friends actually can purchase red path products still sugar uh, sugar money which is still actually considered to be one of the most evil money and dirty money well, they were in everything, though. They were in building. They were in trades. They were they were all over. Back in those days, when you had the money, you can, you're able to, you basically owned the cities and towns. And you bought different... Well, not that different. Okay. All right. So, yeah. 
Oh, that's so cool. Wow. Okay. Oof. Sorry, Sorry, I just knocked something over. My apologies. Yeah, sorry. I, but yeah, this one you can totally go down a go down a rabbit hole on. But I'm excited for yours because this is a pretty like epic legend up here. Well, it's funny, and it's funny because this is also an unsolved mystery mystery murder too. Mm-hmm. Tom you Tom. inspired me to do this one. I'm not gonna lie. When I found out what you were doing, I was like, oh, I should totally do something too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so my story is the mysterious death of Tom Thompson. So I will get get into that. Before, so before I do that, it's time for our random Canadian facts. It's been a while. I'm so excited. I'd forgotten. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So I actually found these two cool facts, and they're more have to do with kind of the geography of Canada. But I thought, you know, it's summertime. We're stuck at home, and most people are either traveling within their own provinces or states because, and they're exploring in their own backyards. Mm-hmm. So I found this one, which is two of them, which are pretty cool. So, and you guys, guys don't know, you may or may not know, I love minerals and crystals. Like I have a whole bunch of them. I don't really buy into the whole um, energies of them. Like some of them are pretty cool. Like quartz crystals are actually used in watches. So there's actually some cool scientific reasonings and like theories behind. But I just love crystals and minerals. I just think they're stunning, as Beth knows. Come into my house. I like massive so, this is pretty cool. So, the Canadian Shield forms a U-shape extended from the Lake Superior in the south um, to the Arctic Islands of the north from the west part of Canada eastward to Greenland. So, it actually literally makes a big U. It is there is where some of the oldest rocks on Earth can be actually found. Among them is a 4.28 billion year old rock that was discovered by a geologist in 2001. It was also found in the area of exposed bedrock on the eastern shore of the Hudson Bay in northern Quebec. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Like, so we have some of the oldest rocks found in Canada, which is pretty cool, showing that we actually go back a little bit here. Um, now the next one, this is pretty cool. So... We in Canada have our own version of the Dead Sea. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So the Dead Sea we know, which is in the Middle East, is known as a um, world for its water buoyancy that you can't sink in it. This Mm -hmm. is true to the high amount of salt content, making it a denter than fresher water. But you don't have to. um, So apparently to this place, you don't have to go that far because in a little lake, I said a little Manitou Lake in Saskatchewan. We actually have our own little one. It's called, um, and it's fed by the underground springs. That is about 13, almost 14 kilometer, uh, square kilometers. And it has a mineral salt concentration of 180,000 milligrams per liter, making it extremely buoyant. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. So to all of our friends in Saskatchewan, go check this out. And you can let us know. If you could take a picture of yourself, because I have a friend that went to the Dead Sea and took a picture of themselves floating, which is pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. So, yeah. So, that is my random Canadian facts. And, that um, is awesome. Yeah. So, now I'm going to get to my story. So, like I said, I was inspired to do this story because, A, it's summertime and we love to travel around Ontario. But, B, um, go into the cottage a lot and, you know, be not too far from Algonquin Park. Um, you know, I kind of like, oh, and I was, I don't know how I came about, I'm like, oh my gosh, Tom Thompson. So I'm like, yes, I want to do this on Tom Thompson because I've always found 
this story to be fascinating. Not only that, it's also been featured on CBC Radio, um, Heritage Moments. This is actually one of Canada's biggest mysteries of an unsolved mystery death. So, Ooh. to give you guys a little context about who Tom Thompson was. So, Tom Thompson, even though he was never formed, um, officially was part of the Group of Seven, because the Group of Seven didn't actually form until the 1920s. And Tom Thompson died just before that. So, therefore, he was never part of it. But a lot of people will associate Tom Thompson with the Group of Seven. I forgot about that, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, and also, too, if it, officially Emily Carr wasn't part of it, but she's still, her works are featured in, you know, a lot of the famous works. Now, I know a lot of people, I think, um, Steve Martin, mm-hmm. huge uh, Group of Seven fan. Like a huge, he loves. I think Lauren Thomas, uh, who's it? Uh, Lauren Harris's work, and he loves Tom Thompson's work as well too. So he's a big fan of the Group of Seven. And if you guys don't know, the Group of Seven are a collective group of Canadian artists that were inspired to paint and sketch the, um, basically the outdoors, especially along the Gongwen and other parts of Ontario. Now, Tom Thompson was born August fourth, and I, I just want to kind of give you a, a bit of context of who he was because he was a pretty cool guy. So he was actually born August fourth. So his birthday, it's actually today. Oh, hey, well, that works out nicely. Yeah. He was born as Thomas John Thompson. Thomas John Thompson. I know Thomas. Oh, it's just Thomas John Thompson. I I can't even speak right now. Um, He was born in Claremont, Ontario, which is about 45 minutes north of here. Fun fact, I actually went to his family home in Claremont. Oh, no way. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, his. so I knew a guy that lived in his house, and it was built in the 1800s. Yeah, that was his family's home. That's awesome. His family moved. Um, so he grew up in, you know, Ontario, especially in like, Claremont, but he moved to Leith, Ontario later on oh. in life. So it's not like a museum. It's just you knew the person who lived in the house. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah. So um, so I said he was born in 19... Sorry, 18, he was born in 1877. His family moved to Leith, but... Um, he had been growing up like he grew up a very outdoorsy kid like he as a child he enjoyed the outdoors fishing swimming boating he was a very talented child that we like term a very outdoorsy kind of rugged boy he was extremely talented for music but um he and but as he got older his interest went to visual arts more and by the time he was about 24 1901 he decided you know continue his, his hand in art and he followed his brother George and Harry to Seattle to join them in the art studio. And his brother there, um, and about a year, about a year into about 1901 or so, that's when he began his career at this art studio. And it's like a school, and he was learning about all the techniques in art. It was there for the art studio where Tom explored the territory of his imagination. There he began to explore his talents of, I guess, the outdoors and his sketching. In 1911, he acquired a job with the Grip Firm, um, where he made his connection with J.E.H. McDonald, Arthur, Lis- uh, Arthur Lismer, Fed Varley, Tim McLean, uh, A.Y. Jackson, and Frank Carmichael. So those were the brother, like the, those were the founding fathers of that made eventually down the road the Group of Seven. Now, fun fact: the Carmichael Gallery, Art Gallery, which is not too far from Toronto, it's about an hour north of Toronto, is probably the most beautiful art gallery ever. It is just, it is 
in this picturesque forest and just stunning. And it's got all the, a lot of the work of the group of seven. Weird, creepy fact. That's was one of the first places I learned about doing uh, grave uh, rubbings and tombstones. Yeah. yeah. It, it's such a cool place. I love the- Shout out uh, to the McMichael Art Gallery Children's Program. Yep. I love, yeah. So the McMichael Gallery is just absolutely stunning. Like, so that's why I just go back to like the McMichael Gallery. I tell people, I'm like, if you want to see a lot of the kind of group of seven works or kind of a lot of them are there. So at age 34, um, Tom began to sketch in oil paint. He was painting things in around Toronto, Don Valley. That's my neighborhood, which is pretty cool. Rose Valley, uh, the Rosedale Ravine, Scarlet Road, Old Mill, and Lambton. So predominantly like around Toronto, he was getting inspired. And that's where he was getting his, his feet kind of wet in the natural landscape. In 1912, he made his first trip to the picturesque Canoe Lake in Algonquin Park. So I'm just going to give you guys, and the, my, our listeners, who may not be familiar with Algonquin is. So Algonquin is one of the largest national parks in Canada. It's, this is what's crazy when you do, the, when you put it in context. It stretches for 7,653 kilometers. The park itself is larger than the Prince Edward Island. Oh my gosh. P.I. It's under 6,000 kilometers, which is Canada's smallest province. Or it's about the same size of Delaware and Rhode Island combined. That's crazy. I didn't realize that. That's insane. Yeah, so yeah Delaware is about, it stands under, so Delaware is about two, sorry, 1,955 square miles. Rhode Island is about 1,045 square miles. That's wild. Yeah, Algonquin Park, she's huge. She's huge. So let's just put that in context, okay? It is a massive, massive national park. So from 1913 to 1917, Tom would spend a lot of his times from the late spring to late fall. He'd be, you know, he would stay at Algonquin Park. And he did his famous works. Like, so some of his famous artworks were actually created there north river west wind ice uh sorry spring ice jack's uh jack pine and northern lights he painted over 24 large canvases and sketched more than 3,000 pieces that's, that's a lot especially starting at like later later on in life exactly <laughs> um he actually lodged a lot of times his favorite place to stay while he was living in canoe lake during this time was during the Moat Lodge. He was known to be a little bit of a loner, but he loved to, like I said, he grew up outside. He loved canoeing. He loved boating. He loved fishing. Like, and they said when he would come up for this, you know, those months mm-hmm. or he spend his time painting, he would go be gone for days. Like he would get his canoe, all of his equipment to sketch and paint. And he'd be gone for like two, three days easily. And people were, were not alarmed okay. because, he was such an avid outdoorsman. He was so avid, actually, he took on a job to help with, with like almost like a, almost like a guide. Oh no way! Yeah, like he became almost like a deputy, like almost like a, a ranger, and he helped like people coming out of like, out of town, and he would show them around. That's very cool. Yeah. So again, this guy was, you know. Definitely more outdoorsy than you and I. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. What? More outdoorsy than me? I didn't know that was possible. 
I know. Um, so needless to say, this guy, you know, for how many years, you know, from 1913 to 1917, he spent half of the year there, right? That's pretty amazing. Living in the wild, just basically, like, he was just this element, like, and he's, like, he was, they said he was a loner, but not really. Like, I think he was just, because he was such a, like, a creative person, he was just, when he was in a creative state, he only focused on that. I think that's when he, that's why he went off for days of people who were not too, you know, concerned when they didn't see him for a few days because he was known to do that. Right. So, um, like I said, he apparently, one of the nights on April 17th, or April uh, 1917, Tom and a group of local cottagers met George Rowe in the cabin. So George Rowe was one of his other guys uh, for some drinks. Apparently this particular night, a discussion of the war came up. Tom spoke of the determination to join up as a fire ranger, but unfortunately due to his flat foot, he was actually denied to serve in the army. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think probably I'm not too sure. Like I obviously can't speak for him, but yeah, he was very upset by that. And that night, this guy, Martin Belcher, who was, who had a tendency to be very bad tempered Mm -hmm. and very outspoken, had a tendency to be very outspoken. And he shut his gums off about, you know, progress in the war. And it was particularly in his forecast of the ultimate German supremacy. So this guy, I'm not sure his standing, right? So mm-hmm. he was apparently a German-American guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it was known that Tom and, you know, Tom and Martin disliked each other. Like their politics and they just seemed to dislike each other. So this one night, apparently the two got in a real fight that like a really bad heated fight that they actually had to be separated because it almost came into fisticuffs. That's how bad it got between them. Oh, that's not good. Hmm. Upon the night. So this is interesting. So apparently uh, that night upon leaving, Martin hurled a final threat to Tom and said by saying to him, don't get my way if you know what's good for you. So that's not threatening at all. I know. So. Uh, I I personally have I personally have said worse to people before in the past, right? <laughs> Especially in the heat of the moment, right? When you get in the heat of the moment, you say stuff, right? It's not a yeah. So I am not too sure, but as I go into the story, it just seems a little bit sketchier. Yeah. On July 8th, so fast forward on July eighth, nineteen seventeen. So this like these guys are still like all like staying living up there for the few months. Um, Tom went to go gather his taco box, a loaf of bread, and some bacon for his um, from the Moet Lodge where he was living before heading out for the day for fishing. As he was leaving, he bared farewell to Shannon and, wa- and they watched Tom paddle pass. It's called Little Wamapo. It's only about half a kilometer, but one mile away from where the lodge is. The That's next day. Yeah, and so I should actually say, so in this like while he was lodging there for so long he did um you know he met uh this girl her name is wendy trainer and apparently they have a relationship it's not too sure you know the extent of the relationship but they did have a relationship okay i just wanted to put there in context because you will explain later as i go tell the story so um so the next day so july 9th Martin, the guy who has a hot-headed guy, cast a remark to some of the guests at the lodge how he spotted an upturned canoe between Little and Big Wamapo Lake. Apparently, Martin and his sister didn't stop to check the canoe, but continued on their way of fishing. So when they returned, they noted that, 
or they noticed rather that the canoe was no, no longer there. So it was there when they were leaving, but when okay. they came out, it wasn't there. Oh. So no one seemed to pick concern because again, Tom would be gone for a few days, but he didn't take a lot of stuff with him. Like they only took like a loaf of bread and bacon, which is like your lunch and dinner kind of thing, right? Because he mm-hmm. left in the morning. Um, people at the canoe thought it was just odd that Mart would not have actually recognized Tom's canoe because apparently Tom had a very distinguished grayish green with a metal strip canoe that everybody knew his boat. Okay. The following morning, after sighting the canoe, Charlie Scrim found the canoe behind Big Wamapo Island. Uh, Mark Robinson, who was another person, I uh, guess, who was an acquaintance of Tom, said that the contrary, this is a quote, I'm quoting what he said here. Mm-hmm. Contrary to some people, uh, some people who may not tell you the coon was floating upside, there was no equipment in the canoe except for Tom's portage paddle, which apparently lashed out in the position for carrying you know, carrying you out. The ground sheet with the bread and bacon and the bow still in the boat. There was no fishing poles, no gear, and the small axe was missing. Oh, weird. Mm-hmm. So at this point, it's almost two days, still no Tom. Right? And now they're getting kind of concerned because, again, he only packed enough stuff for one day. Hmm. So Robinson, uh, Robinson reported to the superintendent Bartlett and they start a search team right away because at this point he's gone. His boat is there now and he's nowhere to be found. And everything is in there except for a few things. Again, I'm going to keep on stressing. He was an avid fisherman. Yeah. He was parked from the, like the back of his hand. Yeah, so, so he could, he could, yeah. Right? So it just it's kind of odd. Yeah, you could so, catch some fish and have it for dinner. That's not a big deal. Exactly. Exactly. But when you have a couple of your, your friends are like saying, mm, his boat's here. Where's he? And like they notice like he would never like leave all this stuff there. Like it just did not make sense. Yeah, you're right. That doesn't make sense at all. Like, again, because he's known for leaving for days at end, but he'd always come back. You would not he would come with his boat. Yeah. But now yeah, he's there and he's not. That would make sense. Yeah. Right. And this, like some things like his fishing pole is not there. Neither his gear or his small axe was missing. Like these are just weird signs. Right. Yeah. That is a bit and odd. It, exactly. And his buddy's like, okay, this is not normal. Something happened. Like something's up. So they, uh, they called the park superintendent Bartlett who sent a search team right away because they knew him as well. They're like, no, this is not normal. They contacted Tom's brother, George, um, who lived in New York City at the time, and he went to Canoe Lake on July 12th to search, you know, to assist in, in their, the search. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they used dynamite in the lake to see if any bodies would surface. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How wild Let's is that? Let's go off all the wildlife. It's fine. That's in that. I mean, I mean, I could see the logic of why they did it, but it's just also like... Yeah, exactly. It's 1917. Obviously, they didn't have, like, the best, I guess, you know, diving equipment. Like, yes, there was diving yeah. equipment back in the day, but probably did not have the tools and technology to, obviously, to assist them in search. But they used dynamite. How would they... Are Were they thinking that, like, he could have been caught on something and the dynamite would wedge him free? Girl, I don't know. They're just maybe, like, if, like, exploded pieces of his body would float up. I have no idea. 
See, now I have questions. <laughs> See? And the best is like I put in my nose, like, mm, I guess, which is normal? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Because like, I don't, I I didn't ever think of that. That never came, you know, ponder or even crossed my mind. Oh, body's missing. Let's blow up a lake. <laughs> Makes sense. Right? Oh my God. So on July 14th, George left to go back to New York because at this point he's like, I, there's nothing I can do. Like, I want to search for my brother. He grabbed his brother's stuff, like his paintings, and left, right? Because there's nothing much he can do at this point. Right. He's like searching for a need, you know, is again, Algonquin Park is massive, right? Yeah, it's huge. Exactly. Searching for a needle in the haystack. So in the morning of July 15th, 1917, um, Dr. Uh, Howland, Spotted something laid in a low water point of the east shore of Canoe Lake. He first thought it was some kind of animal. Mm-hmm. On looking closer, he discovered the body of Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the 17th, Dr. Howland, um, they're waiting to get a, um, a doctor to come up to do an autopsy, but they couldn't do it. I forgot. It was like it was busy a couple days. So oh. Dr. Howland, knowing Tom, being a doctor, he decided to take this on himself, which was really nice of him, to examine the body himself. Mm-hmm. Upon examining the body, they removed a fishing line that was wrapped around Thomas's foot, like Tom's foot, 16 to 17 times, 16 to 17 times around his ankle. Okay. And so it's not like if you trip and you have like one wrapped around, no, it was wrapped around his ankles 16 to 17 times. Wow. If they examined upon further, Dr. Helen also discovered there was no water in his lungs. Oh. Mm-hmm. Probably not drowned then. That's wild. But he did discover that on the left side of Tom's head, like like around his temple area, mm-hmm. the mark as though he was struck with the edge of a paddle or a blunt object. Mm. So going back to finding that paddle that was broken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, when he did the autopsy, so this is now from the autopsy. This is actually a report from the autopsy I'm reading. Mm-hmm. A bruise on the left temple about the size of a four-inch line. And no other signs of external marks visible on the body. Air issuing from the mouth and some bleeding around the right ear. Okay, but this is, okay, so I'm quoting this out. I'm also quoting this. So, it said, Dr. Howland said there was no water in the lungs, right? Mm-hmm. But guess what the autopsy come up as came up as drowning. Uh huh. Cause of death: drowning. Huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Tom was placed in a casket and is moved to the mainland. Okay. See, honestly, this story is bonkers. Yeah, this it's is pretty like, crazy. It's, a, it's like a true mystery. It truly is a mystery. So. His body was placed in the casket. was moved to the mainland for in her hurried funeral. A short time later, his body would be exhumed by the request of his family because they wanted him to be buried in closer in Leith, Ontario, right? Which right. is closer to them. So again, add drama to this. The undertaker who was a part of this was so sketchy. Apparently, he got off the train and he contacted the the caretaker of the in cemetery. He said, you got to exhume the body. And he's like, well, let's wait till tomorrow. He's like, no, I got to do it now. He decided to exhume the body at midnight. Okay. okay. Uh-huh. Then when they were 
you know, bringing the body to, it was like this, almost like a metal uh, casket. Mm-hmm. And that, and the guy who was helping, you know, bring the body, he said that the body set, like that felt very disproportionate that he felt like there was nothing in there really. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Something, a metal casket with a body would have been a lot heavier, but he said it wasn't. That's so, true. yeah. So they're trying to figure all that out. So fast forward about the 1950s, this group of people who are, you know, local locals and artists or, and uh, the doctors who were part of this, their kids found this whole case to be very interesting. So they took upon themselves to like reopen the case. Mm-hmm. They went back to the cemetery and they discovered that his body was not there. What? No, sorry. They discovered that his body was like some other body was there. They're not sure if it's Tom's. Oh, what? So they think the undertaker did like a fucking switcheroo. Excuse my oh. friend. Did not actually take Tom's body. Just put it in the casket and the parents and the family just probably have an empty casket right now. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it, and it gets crazy. So people, they have all these conspiracy theories. So now I'm going to get to conspiracies now. Okay. So conspiracy of this. Hold on. And this is not even the ghost part. I was going to say, this is like, I know there's still so much more to come. Oh, there's so much. Okay. So there's a couple conspiracies that who killed them. So people think, I said, remember talking with that girl, Winnie? Yeah. That he had apparently a relationship with. So you're not too sure. So apparently there's a few conspiracies here. So one is that Winnie Trainer was pregnant. Okay. Tom didn't want, you know, Tom didn't want to marry her. She decides to do him in and make it look like an accident or he commits suicide as a way of getting out of her marrying her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sharon, so Shannon Frazier um, was another person I forgot to mention who apparently owed him money. Okay. And apparently Tom was always pounding him and saying, you owe me money, you owe me money. He wanted it back in order to get a new suit to marry Trainer, but he and Shannon got into an argument. Thomas uh, falls, hits his head on the fireplace, great, and then dies, and then makes it look like an accident. Right? So Fraser and Annie yeah. try to cover it up to make it look like an accident that Tom fell down, and then they like, just put him outside. And then there's the other theory that about Martin Belcher, who was a guy that he had a disagreement with. Mm-hmm. So there's three different people who could have committed his murder. But nobody knows for sure. There's no definitive answer. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no, um, you know, motive. Or there's motive, but there's no evidence. That's wild. Mm-hmm. But you think if he, if they were setting up as like he just fell and banged his head, they wouldn't have to move him. That's what I said. Like, oh, he's drinking. He fell down. Blah yeah. blah blah blah. Right? You could have made it easy to look like an accident. So those are three different motives. Behind, or conspiracy theories that are behind his death. Okay, but like I said, this this story is like it's bananas. It's bonkers because there's so many questions people have. I will post there's pictures of his actual skull to indicate the show the whole of his yeah. head, mm-hmm. the body, like I said the his actual grave that he was buried there, and then I I okay, there's just so many questions like every time i open like what why and it just it opens like another can of worms now <laughs> so that is the death of 
Tom Thomas. Okay. That is a lot. <laughs> Cat's death. Right. Yeah. Now we have the motives behind it of who could have killed him and why. Yeah. And then to top this all off, this would not be our podcast if we did not have a ghost in it. It is true. I kind of slacked off on the ghost part this time, so I'm counting on you to bring it home. So, there was an artist known as Doug Dugford, who was actually known, he was a photographer, he was also known as a visual artist. He would actually go visit a lot to, um, again, and also to, because of Canoe Island, it had such a great reputation because of, you know, inspired a lot of the group of seven, especially Tom Thompson. It became like a mecca for artists, and this still is, because it's such a beautiful place, right? It's such a picturesque place that... So many artists will flock to this place, and they still do. Um, so our, um, there was an artist named, he passed away now, his name is Doug Tom, I'm sorry, Doug Dunford. Okay. He actually was staying there, and one early morning, he decided to go down to the lake, I think it was in 1980s, late 70s or late early 80s. He went to go take a picture, so he had his camera. And he was looking at the lake, and this mist was coming up. It was absolutely beautiful. He says, it's very picturesque. I have the picture here. I actually have the picture. And it was posted. He saw a canoe coming, and he said this gentleman looked like like Tom Thomas. What? He said, oh, my God, just looks like Tom. And when he took the picture, he took the picture, and he took down the lens, that person disappeared. The boat, the man, totally disappeared. So by the time he took his picture, took his camera away from his eyes, because again, it's the 80s. This is before DSL cameras. He took the camera with his film camera. When you remove the film, or sorry, the camera, to go look, because he says, this looks like Tom Thomas, like, oh my yeah. God. When he took away the camera to adjust his eyes back to the lake, that person disappeared. Completely vanished. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. He's been uh, interviewed on the Toronto Star. He's been interviewed on so many different like news outlets saying he's had him. He's like, no, this is the picture. And he actually had the picture. And it's actually in where I got a lot of our sources from, from Haunted Ontario by Tara Boyle. And also the Toronto Star and a couple of um, the Muskoka Ghost uh, webpage. Yeah. It's a pretty cool picture. It is a very cool picture. You can go online. I will post it on our Instagram. So everybody can see his picture. But. Wow. And so people apparently. So this is a crazy thing too. So not only has this gentleman seen this stuff. There's also apparently uh, stories of people finding random things in the park area. So um, they said that a little girl. So. um According to Ontario Parks and Government Policies, all resident and leaseholders obtained to either tear down the buildings where it happened to ensure the land is returned to original state, which was funny. So just two years ago, or three years ago, they tore it down on basically the anniversary of his death. Oh. Um, so many, there's many unexplained events that still happen at Canoe Lake. One young girl named Sarah found a painting tucked in a crack of a tree of an old piece of wood inscribed with a biblical, like with a biblical quote. Yeah. So they're not too sure if this is Tom Thomas, but she found this old painting in a tree. That's cool. So they don't know. Even if it's not Tom Thompson, it's just somebody doing something like 
on their own. That's a really cool find. Exactly. So people are finding these like pieces of art in these trees. They're finding like um the like weird sounds that people would hear. It sounds like he said also too, the guy he said it sounds like some people have actually heard when they're standing in a lake, you know, early in the morning, it sounds like a canoe is paddling up. They're like enough there's nothing there. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And also very calming at the same time. <laughs> it's very calming. So yeah, so you know, just like um today's birthday, which is crazy to actually think about that. And also just his hundred year anniversary of his death just passed, but what, hundred and three years ago now. That's pretty amazing. Yep. And so that is the story of the mysterious the mysterious death of Tom Thompson and his unsolved mystery of his death. Grace, that was awesome. Yeah. That was a really that was and like kudos to you because that was an intense one. That was a lot. Oh. I actually shortened that because there was so much information on it, but you have to give the con. Like I had to give the back. Yeah, you had to. Because it, it, it would not make sense who he was. I'm, yeah. It's it's wild to me because it's like there's so much information yet it's still unsolved. It's like. It's still an unsolved mystery death. Like how crazy is that? 103, 103 years later and we still don't know. His true cause of his death. So like I said, so, oh, oh, so I forgot to mention, yeah. somebody who was doing a path again, because you can still do this, these beautiful um, canoe tours on your own. Mm-hmm. Somebody actually found the piece of the canoe. I mean, no. the, the broken paddle piece in the mud. A <gasps> hundred years later, somebody actually found it. That's, that's pretty crazy. And apparently they brought it to the forensics and were able to um, show that it was the canoe paddle that um, was punctured his head. That's that was the right size. That would have been the right size that, that would puncture the hole in the temple. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, tell me that wasn't a mysterious death. Like who killed him? Yeah, that's that's the question. Killed him and why? Like anyhow. So oh, <sighs> you're gonna send me down. We're gonna switch rabbit holes today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not gonna solve each other's murder mysteries. You know that. That's craziness. We really got to get on this uh, investigation. Want to get her alive? <laughs> I am telling you, the more I think about it, the more I want to do it. It's pretty cool. I can't lie. Mm-hmm. So that well, was really cool, Grace. That was amazing. I hope you guys enjoyed our rabbit holes. <laughs> now, pardon me while I go spend five hours on YouTube. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, it is insane. It's and like I said, it's bonkers how much information there is, and just yeah. So, yay. So, thank you guys for joining us for episode 35. Yes, I can't believe it's 35 already. Get, and we're, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting going. That's wild. Sorry, my mind's still blown by this. Both of us, because I'm actually thinking about your story, too. It's like, it's like a little hamster wheel riding it, my head right they, they just seem so straightforward. And then the more you read, you're like, that's not straightforward at all. Well, that's exactly what, the more I'm reading this. And how you how do you write something like this? Like, because you keep on going back and forth, and you, you know you, you introduce like all these new like suspects and these like character witnesses, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, like who can it be? And like, ugh, anyhow. So thank you guys for coming and join us on the rabbit hole and us talking about two famous deaths, yeah. unsolved mysteries, unsolved deaths, Dude. literally. Yeah, that's wild. So if you ever gone to Algonquin Park and if you ever been to, I guess, Moet's Lodge, let us know. Because I've been to the different parts of Algonquin Park. It is absolutely stunning. But again, it's almost 8,000 kilometers. So 
I can't, but I knew it was huge, but I didn't realize it was that huge. Yeah. Incredible. Bigger than PEI, which you and I've been both to. And when you think about that's a park in Ontario that just puts in perspective, how huge Ontario is people. Yeah. That's pretty. So good reminder. Yep. Um, so until next time, guys, again, thank you for helping us reach a milestone of a thousand downloads. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that because we are super excited. I am, I, I can't speak for Beth, but I'm just myself excited to be back to recording because it feels like home again. Getting back to my spookiness. Yeah. I missed it. I missed it. Too, I know. And close to August, August means it's closer to, to October, which is means it's close to Halloween. So yeah, our favorite time. Of our, happy time. Our, happy, our happy time. Our happy month. Sweater, <laughs> sweater weather. <laughs> I get the screaming that out at the store the other day and people are looking at me like I was crazy, but it's true. It's coming. Not everybody appreciates my sense of humor, Beth. Only you. I totally appreciate your sense of humor. I know. So guys, thank you again. I'm going to say that a million times. So join us in um, next time mm-hmm. where we are going to look into more haunted places and stories and unsolved mysteries. And if not, our private investigation firm. <laughs> we'll keep you updated on both. <laughs> so remember, is it haunted or is it history? You guys decide. Take care. Bye. Bye.